Before I read the text, let me say that, that the Old Testament was written, the Bible says, for our edification, for our learning, instruction. And there is a basic principle that we've um, said here many times, and it's this, that you get the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament, and you get the picture of those principles in the Old Testament. So what you have in New Testament principle you have illustrated in an Old Testament picture. And one of those Old Testament pictures is, is the land of Canaan, is Canaan living. Now Canaan in the Old Testament, or as it's pictured, does not represent to us heaven. I'm sorry to tell you that. But when the Bible talks about Canaan in the New Testament, it's not talking about getting to heaven. Now that's good music. You know, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We talk about heaven, but Canaan is not heaven. It does not represent heaven. Canaan represents the kind of life that we were saved to live. It's a life of victory and fullness called a land flowing with milk and honey. So that we were saved out of bondage in Egypt and we were not saved to wander around in the wilderness. We were saved to live in the victory that Canaan represents. And so God gets His people across the Jordan uh, with Joshua, His leader, and they are conquering the land and expanding and moving out. They're taking over cities and they're growing. But they come to a time when Joshua is going to parcel out the land and he calls together these tribes to give them their portion. Manasseh and Ephraim are not pleased with the portion they have. As a matter of fact, it looks like that no longer are they going to be blessed with prosperity, success, and growth. He says, and, and I'm going to pick up on it in verse 12. But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. And it came about when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to force labor, but they did not drive them out completely. Then the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am a numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? There's some, there's some doubt about what you know, lies beyond here. And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up to the forest, clear a place for yourself in the land of the Prizite, of the Rephim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshean and its towns, those who are in the valley of Jezreel. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only. You're going to grow, but there are going to be some conditions on that growth. But the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it to its farthest borders. It shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. Now the Christian life was never meant to be static. It was meant to be dynamic. The Christian life is not a period but a process of becoming. 
It is not a, a post that you drive into the ground. It is a tree that's planted that sends down roots and grows and bears fruit. The Christian life was never meant to be static. It was meant to be a process of becoming, of growth. You remember when it was vogue for a preacher to preach from um, Romans 1.16 and talk about the, dyna the dynamite of the gospel? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power there is the word dunamis, and it means dynamite. And so we had these sermons about the power of the gospel, dynamite, till somebody told us one day that the Christian life for a lot of people was like that. It was just, you know, an experience that had made a lot of noise, stirred up a lot of dust, but didn't last long. And so we had to find us some other sermons to preach. We begin to discover that the word dunamis or dynamite in the New Testament, as it is associated with the gospel, is a word that means a continuous source of power and energy. So that the Christian life is to be lived in the dynamic, the source of continuous energy and resources for growth. It was never meant to be static. And the most frustrating thing that comes to a Christian is to come to those periods in his life when he discovers that he's not growing that he's reached a, a kind of a static level where he's experiencing no new experiences. And all of a sudden, and you all know what I'm talking about, your growth just kind of comes to a screeching halt. And much of what you know about God and have experienced is something in the past. And we have all asked our Joshua, we may not have verbalized it, but we've all asked our Joshua, our Lord Jesus, why is it that I'm not growing? And why is it that there are others who are having these marvelous experiences and walks with God that I'm not having? Why is it that the blessing of God has been suspended to me? We've all asked that question. And I think there are three reasons why we stop growing. Now, every Christian experiences some growth. You may not be all you want to be, but you're not what you were. But the problem with most of us is, is that we come to the period of time in life where that growth seems to cease. You know what I'm talking about? This is yes, this is no. Now why is it that we stop growing? Well, we stop growing when we exercise only a partial conquest. Now verse 12 says, The sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities, because the Perizzites, because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. And verse 13 says that they drove them out, but they did not drive them out completely. Now watch this. When God brought them into the land that, that is a land of victory and fullness and growth, He gave them some specific orders, particular rules, requirements. They were to drive out the Canaanites utterly, completely, all of them. Did they do it? No, they didn't. They exercised only a partial conquest. No wonder that they couldn't grow in the land any longer because the Canaanites are still living there. Now, it would be like somebody, some, some of you seeing somebody on the street, you know, tomorrow, and you say, well, how are you doing, Fred? You say, well, I'm doing great. You know, we got a new baby. But you know, he said, we need some more space. We got this little two-bedroom house and three kids and we're just cramped and we need, some, we need more space. You say, well, I tell you what, Fred, that's amazing. 
Because I got a friend who has a 12-room house, eight bedrooms he wants to sell. He got some equity built up in it. He'd like to get his equity. And he does, you know, he, he, he'll, he'll give you a bargain. I mean, let me give you his name and phone number. You, you see if you can't uh, make, a, make, a, make a buy there. So you call up this guy and uh, he, he calls up this guy and he makes the purchase. You see him the next week. You say, well, how you doing? Fred? Great, man. We got eight bedrooms. Man, he said, I made this guy an offer and he sold it to me. And we're, we moved in closed, you know, yesterday. And everything's looking up for us. About 30 days you see Fred again. He's got this downcast look. Said, What's the matter, Fred? He said, well, we just need more space. You need more space, man. You got eight bedrooms, 12-room bed, 12 house. You, you need more space? He said, yeah. He said, you know those people that were living there? They're still living in there. <laughs> Can't get rid of them. And, um, you, they got a large family. Guy's got 10 kids. He said, they're all still in the house. You're going to say to Fred, Fred, you don't need... You don't need more space. You just need to get rid of the folks that are living in that house. I mean, you need to, you need to have a little eviction party going on here, and you need to get rid of those folks that were there when you purchased the house in the first place. That's why Red Pass says in his marvelous book, we're not living up to capacity, and we're all wanting new spheres and new opportunities, and what we need is not more opportunity. We just need to live up to capacity to what we already have so that the condition of receiving the grace of God and the fullness of His Spirit is measured by the character of your obedience and faith. You just need to measure. You just need to live up to the capacity of the possessions you already have. And So I heard about this guy who was selling magazines to work his way through college. And he called up these farmers. He had a Progressive Farmer magazine. Some of you are smiling because you remember when we, one of the most exciting days, you talk about an exciting life I lived as a kid. One of the most exciting days I remember as a child is every month when the pro Progressive Farmer came. Now that's a real life. <laughs> we get these Progressive magazine, Farmer magazines. So this kid was working his way through college selling a progressive farmer. He came up to this old farmer. He said, I'd like to sell you this magazine called Progressive Farmer. He said, well, why do I need that magazine? Well, he said, well, it has all these ideas and new techniques and all the technology that's available to the modern farmer in the 20th century. And the old farmer put his hands down his bib overalls and he said, I don't think I need a magazine or Progressive Farmer magazine. I ain't living up to the ideas I already have about farming. Some of us are not living up to what we already have. Let me give you a principle. I need to say it again, although I've said it often, that the condition of additional revelation is obedience to the present revelation. And when you and I are obedient to the present revelation, we'll get more. That's where growth comes. And so Ron Dunn tells about preaching out in Denver and he said this young couple came up to him. They've just been saved a week. The glory of the Lord was on them. They hadn't been in church long enough to get messed up. They didn't know much. And he said, the, the lady said to him, Mr. Dunn, last night you said something about tithing. We want to be tithers. You said every Christian ought to be a tither. Ron Dunn said, I'm thinking about it. What did I say? He said, oh yeah, I remembered I kind of was in the neighborhood on tithing, so I stopped for a visit. I mentioned somebody. He said, yeah, I think I do remember saying something about it. She said, we want to be tithers. 
Every Christian ought to be a tither. We want to be tithers. What is it? He said, I hated to tell her. <laughs> he said, I kind of cleared my throat <clears throat> and kind of said over my cough that it was the giving to the Lord, the first fruit, the first 10% of your possessions. He said, I thought when I looked up, I'd see this downcast look of this lady. I'd hear her say something. That's what I thought all you preachers do is ask for money. He said, when I looked up at her, she still had this look of enthusiasm, the glory of the Lord on her. And she said, oh, okay, we're tithers. Unconditioned unqualified obedience. That's what I'm talking about. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So I can astound my friends with my knowledge? No, so that I might not sin against thee. And it's like a lamp that shows a little light on the path and you go to the edge of the light and then there's a little more light and you go to the edge of the light. It's unconditioned, unqualified obedience. Some of us are just exercising a partial conquest. Now why is that true? It's true because some of us have a spirit of compromise. Now, they didn't turn their back completely on God. They just wanted to compromise. They said, we won't run them all out, but we'll, we'll keep a few, but we'll make them slaves. We'll compromise. I got a bulletin for you. There's no compromise with God. It's either His way or no way. I've been hearing a lot today about this day and time about um, taking the Bible literally. I mean, that's in vogue. Gets you a lot of amens to say, I believe in the Bible from cover to cover, even the maps. I've even heard one guy say, I believe that the, car, the, the, the uh, concordance is, spirit, is uh, endowed. <laughs> Gets a lot of amens. I'm not so concerned about uh, whether you take the Bible literally. I'm not that concerned. I don't suppose there's anybody here this morning that would say, I don't think the Bible literally. I'm going to ask you a bigger question than that. Do you take it seriously? And so I heard about this guy who had a problem with his brother. He had aught against They had a conflict. God put his finger on that. He said, I want you to go to that brother and I want you to make it right. Ask for forgiveness. Get reconciliation. He didn't want to do that. That took too much humility. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, Lord. I've been really meaning to start teaching Sunday school. You need Sunday school teachers? I, I, I'm, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm on, and God just put his finger on, I, you, you need to go rec, make record. So he said, compromise. I'll tell you what I'll do, Lord, we'll just compromise here. I'll even start visiting, God forbid. I mean, Monday night, I'll be at visitation. God put his finger, I want reconciliation. He said, okay. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll start giving more. God put his finger on reconciliation for with him there is no compromise. Now if God says, puts his finger on a Canaanite in your life and says, drive it out utterly, you will never compromise with God and substitute something else. I thought I might get a nod or two on that. They had a spirit of compromise. They had a spirit of complacency. And they said, you know, with kind of a shrug of the shoulders, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, well, it's no big deal. Drive them out completely. I can handle the Canaanites. No big deal. I can take them or leave them. And God says, you have these things in your life that are, to the, that are relevant to the former life. I want them, oh, well, you know, when I get around to it, I'll do it. It's kind of a, kind of a shrug the shoulders kind of an attitude of complacency. Take them or leave them. 
It's no big deal that God puts His finger on these things in our life. No big deal to us. Let me tell you something. It's a big deal to God. And there's some of you who have Canaanites in your life today that 10 years, 20 years ago, 10 years ago would have been an embarrassment to you. And we developed with, you know, we, in time we have developed this toleration of things that God wants out of our lives and a rationale to explain it away. You know what I'm talking about. You have things in your life that are an embarrassment to God and His church and are no big deal to you. And the irony of this thing is, is that he says, did you see that? When Joshua, when, when Joshua told them to drive them out, they said, we made slaves of them. And later he said, God said, drive them out. And they said, we can't. Now, does that seem ironical to you that they couldn't get rid of their own slaves? Well, let me tell you something. Once you allow something in your life and will not obey God explicitly and and totally, it doesn't take long until that becomes your master and you become its slave. They say, well, these slaves, quote, unquote, have chariots of iron. We can't drive them out. Now, who's the slave and who's the slave master? And I have a feeling that some of you have things in your life this morning you couldn't get out if you wanted to. They had a spirit of complacency. And they had a spirit of covetousness. I can just see two Israelites talking one day and one says to the other, says, hey, didn't I see some of the Canaanites over there working in your vineyard? Yeah, I made slaves out of them. Well, didn't God tell you to get rid of them? Well, he said, well, I got rid of most of them. But I kept some of them back. You never know when you're going to need them. Now, I don't want to rush this sermon, so I'm gonna, I may preach this in two sermons. I want to spend a little time in this neighborhood. Are there things in your life that you're holding over? Some Canaanites in your life that you're retaining from the past because you never know when you're going to need them? And so a businessman comes to the Lord and he says, I'm going to give the Lord my business. I'm going to do it God's way. Oh, wonderful friend. I congratulate you. Then you find out, well, there's a couple of things about the old way of doing things I kept because if I don't prosper, I might have to turn to that one day. You never know when you're going to need it. And some teenager comes to the Lord and gives his or her life to Christ completely. I can't live for, for the world any longer, but I'm going to keep a couple of things from the old way of doing things because if I don't succeed and I don't become prosperous, popular in this new way. I might have to resort to the old way. You never know when you might need it. And there was this spirit covetousness. Well, there's a second reason why we, don't, we stop growing. When we expect preferential treatment. Now watch carefully. The tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim were tribes from the, they were sons of Joseph. Manasseh was the firstborn, number one son. Ephraim was the tribe from which Joshua came. And so they just had a good idea that all they had to do is go to Joshua and say to Joshua, we need, some, we need more property, we need more land. And they'd get preferential treatment. I mean, doesn't that seem logical? But Joshua said, 
No preferential treatment. If you want more space, get you an axe, go up in the hills and go to work and get you some. And they say, we don't want to do it that way. Why? Why does a person expect preferential treatments? In the first place, because of arrogancy. Now watch this carefully. They had the idea that just because of their name, it didn't matter who they were or, or what they did, because of their name, God was going to bless them. Now watch carefully. Just because you have a name, that doesn't guarantee that you can do anything you want or be anything you want. God still bless you. And that's the same for this church. I went to Southern Baptist Convention one time and somebody had the audacity to get up there and say Baptists are the only, is the only denomination God is using. And the title of his sermon was Baptists are the only, is the only team God has in the field. I thought, what arrogance. Us who make up that denomination think that God is going to always... And they thought, well, just because we're God's chosen people and we have the temple and God, we can do anything we want to and God's still going to bless us. I got a bulletin. It doesn't work that way. And there was this arrogance and there was this indolence. God said, if you're going to grow, you're going to have to pay a price for it, get you an ax and go up there and start to work. And they said, we want growth, but we don't want, any, we don't want to have to sacrifice for it. We won't gain without pain. We'd like for God to suspend the laws of spiritual growth. We don't want to have to discipline ourselves. Sound familiar? I thought I died and went to heaven another day. I picked up a newspaper, saw a big ad, be slim. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking to myself, that's for me. And I read the article and it said that you, you didn't even have, you could take a pill, just write off for it. It must have been a tapeworm. It was a, you, you, write off, write off. <laughs> this popped into my head. Now why did I say it? Just write off of this pill. And, and you don't have to exercise. You can sit on the couch and watch TV. You don't have to, you can eat anything you want to. Just take this pill and you'll be an Arnold Schwarzenegger in about 30 days. Man, who wouldn't want that pill? The only problem is it doesn't work. And I was riding home, true story, at lunch the other day, thinking about this sermon. I heard this guy saying, talking about that he could cure about anything you have ailing you, from athlete's feet to halitosis. I mean from baldness and everything in between, de depression, <laughs> And all you had to do was go to this certain place in Dallas and get hypnotized, and 40 minutes he'd heal, 48 minutes he'd heal every problem you ever had. The problem with that is it doesn't work. Let me tell you something. If we think we can build a church building and set it on a corner and come on Sunday morning and sit in a comfortable pew and listen to fine music and a, and a, and a fine sermon. Sit, sit in a comfortable few, pew and sit on Sunday morning and think God is going to bless us. we got another thing coming. It's going to cost if we grow. There's going to be some pain if there's gain. There's going to be some sacrifice. And that's not just, I'm not talking about the corporate church. I'm talking about you personally. It'll cost you something. Now one last, oh, by the way, you can be, you're as spiritual as you want to be. 
I hear people say, boy, I wish I could be spiritual. I wish I could grow. Fool. That's, that's, that's not true. You're just as spiritual as you want to be. One last thought. We don't grow because we evade personal conflict. Now, this is what Joshua told them to do. He said, I want you to go out and get an axe and start cutting down the trees. There are two things he said they had to do. Number one, they had to clear out the harmless things that clutter up their lives. Now, what's wrong with trees? Nothing's wrong with trees. I love them. I grew up in West Texas, where Kenneth lives. No woodpeckers in Lubbock, I can tell you that for sure. I love trees. Nothing wrong with trees. They're just in the way if you're going to grow. They clutter the ground. They take up the space. They take up the ground. That's what he's talking about. They're harmless. But they, in order to expand and grow, you can't have them there. See, I mean, when we built this building out here, y'all remember when the old Boston house was out here, that vacant lot? There was this huge and beautiful tree out behind the Boston house. And so we got ready to build this building. Oh, mercy. You talk about grief. Somebody said, you're going to tear down our tree? And I didn't want to tear the tr- cut it down either, but, I mean, I love trees. I don't have anything against them. But in order to build that building, that tree had to go, even though it was beautiful and harmless. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the sower went forth to sow, and some of the seed fell in ground that was choked out by the cares of the world. Listen to me carefully. There are some things in your life, my friend, that are absolutely harmless. They're just, they're good, but they're not the best, and you'll not grow as long as they're there. And so I heard this preacher say one night that he, he was sitting in his den, and he was thinking, Lord, I wish we could get rid of some of those folks in my church so we could grow. And the Lord said to him, No, there's some things in your life that you need to get rid of so you can grow. Would you like to know what they were? No, you probably, yeah, we we really don't have time to, but if you insist, you're not going to like it. He said, whenever God said to me, there's some harmless things in your life you're going to have to clear out, I said, Lord, show me and I'm ready to do it. You know what it was? Number one was television, too much television. He said, God just pulled back the veil of my heart and said, look here, the reason why you can't get up in the morning and have some time with me is because you have to put all the funny boys to bed every night. You don't feel like it. You know what the second one was? You're not going to like it. Too much involvement in civic and political affairs. I told you you weren't going to like it. He said... The Lord just pulled back that veil and said to me, these are wonderful things, but you don't have time for me because you're too involved in that. And all of a sudden, God said, and I know this is painful for me as well as some of us, God said, in order for there to be growth, you're going to have to start deciding which is most important. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. And whatever he does shall prosper, his leaf will never wither. I wish I could just jump in right there in Psalm 1 and make that applicable to me. Let me tell you, that statement is prefaced by these words. And in his law, he meditates day and night. See, there's not any growth and spiritual fruitfulness without some time with God. And you can't do it if you're all involved in everything else. That word meditate, by the way, means to hum a, hum a tune. 
It means like you got you have a tune on your mind, you couldn't get rid of it. So it is law. All right, second. Not only do we have to clear out the harmless, we got to clear out the harmful that contaminate your life. Some things clutter it. Some things contaminate it. Canaanites. Now Joshua might have said to God, no, haven't you got it out of order? Shouldn't we clear out the Canaanites and then go cut down the trees? Shouldn't it be that we clear out the contaminants, those things that contaminate us, then we'll take out the things that clutter up our life? No, the order's right. Listen to me. You hear this, please. When you get first things first and you clear out the things that are harmless, that clutter up your life, then you'll have the strength to clear out the things that contaminate. But you begin with priorities. Now there are two questions. Do I have Canaanites in my life that contaminate it? Are there things left over from the old life that God wants you to give up? unconditionally? Second question, do I have some trees that need to be cut down? They're in my praying ground. They're on my praying ground. And I can't get there to pray because i got all these things cluttering it up. They're on my devotional ground. They're on my obedient ground. And I can't do it as long as I have these things in my life. There's nothing wrong with them. As a matter of fact, the author of the book of Hebrews says that we are to lay aside Every sin and the, every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And they're two different things. Sin and weights are two different things. The weights are the harmless things. They just impede the progress. The, the sin is the harmful things that contaminate you. And so Campola met a girl named Nancy. She was a paraplegic. He said she ran an, or, an ad in the paper, said, you, are you lonely? Would you like to talk to somebody on the telephone? And gave her a number. He said she got as many as eight to ten calls a day. She counseled, she encouraged, she, she witnessed. That's what she could do at home, a paraplegic. One day, Campola, when he heard about it, one day he, he got up enough nerve. He said, well, I need my minutes, but I couldn't, couldn't stand any longer. So I said, what happened to you? She said, I... I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I tried to kill myself. She said, one day I was so empty and I had no reason to live. I climbed up on a fifth-story building and jumped off. I live, but I'm paralyzed from the waist down. She said, I wasn't a Christian. One night the Lord came to my bed and said, Nancy, before now you had a healthy body and a crippled mind. Now you're going to have a crippled body but a healthy mind. And she said, as many have said that I know, I'd rather have a healthy mind, healthy spirit, than a healthy body. And so God comes to Manasseh and Ephraim and says, I'm going to cripple you until you put me first. Let's pray together. Father, now let us in this moment of invitation be utterly and totally submissive to the command. For I pray in Jesus' name.